0: I remember when I was younger, I was like absolutely terrified of the Haunted Mansion. I recall one time going to Disneyland, I was so scared that I began to like scream for my mom and threw my hands up in the air. Eventually the operators came, they stopped the ride, helped me get to the exit. It's just a damn shame that the other high school seniors were there to witness it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Post Credits with Gil Garcia. Coming off of Barbenheimer, today we have Disney's Haunted Mansion. This is the studio's second attempt at adapting the Disney theme park ride for the big screen. The original Haunted Mansion film came out exactly 20 years ago in 2003, starring Eddie Murphy, and it released to poor reviews and reception. Does the 2023 version exonerate the flop from 20 years ago, or is Disney summoning a dead franchise? Let's begin with Act 1. Alright, in 2023's Haunted Mansion, a woman and her son enlist a motley crew of so-called spiritual experts to help rid their home of supernatural squatters. The film stars Lakeith Stanfield, Rosario Dawson, Tiffany Haddish, Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, Jared Leto, and newcomer Chase Dillon. It is directed by Justin Simeon, the writer and director of Netflix's series Dear White People, and written by Katie Dippold, famous for The Heat, starring Melissa McCarthy, Parks and Recreation, and 2016's Ghostbusters Answer the Call, also starring Melissa McCarthy. Now, the original Haunted Mansion coincided with the phenomenon that was the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. It was an effort for Disney to bring along their series of ride attraction films, and unfortunately... The Haunted Mansion did not even reach the levels of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, and obviously it was way more successful than this one. Prior to watching this one, the I watched the Eddie Murphy version, prior to going and watching this one to kind of get a taste of what I was in for to refresh my mind and to compare the two. And I can honestly say like (laughs) this one does way more fan service than the other one. It's kind of crazy. The original How to Mansion was like, it was neither funny or scary. It was like really annoying. Eddie Murphy was like kind of an asshole the entire time. There's no real character plot for him. And the first one didn't really have as many references to the ride attraction that you were expecting. Hell, even the mansion itself wasn't even modeled after the one at Disneyland and theme parks. It wasn't even taking place in uh, New Orleans Square either, so it was kind of weird. In comparison, that made me kind of enjoy this one a lot more. So, going into this movie, I was kind of expecting Disney to have learned their lesson. To create a more eccentric and fun film with even more connections to the ride and lore. And to give us something that's a little bit more crowd-pleasing. Owen Wilson and Danny DeVito are are hilarious. And Tiffany Haddish, I actually don't mind her at all. So um, I had big expectations for this film. I felt like it was going to get buried under the weight of Barbenheimer. So not a lot of people were going to go see it. And um, I was expecting to have a theater all to myself when I went to go watch this movie. To my surprise, it was actually kind of full. With all that being said, The Haunted Mansion is it as good as the original? Or <laughs> is it as bad as the original? Or is it a pleasantly surprising film? Let's find out. Let's go into Act Two, my spoiler free review. <laughs> All right, so right off the bat, I want to tell you guys that I was pleasantly surprised with The Haunted Mansion, the 2023 version, especially after seeing the early reaction to it. I think we all kind of like saw the writing in the sand that this movie was not getting critically accepted by a lot of uh, critics. It was standing at a rotten rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So my expectations tempered a little bit by the time I got to the theater. I was expecting... Maybe this would be the first film that I would hate on this podcast, the first time I'd actually get to showcase a little bit more of my critical expertise in this field. Or you listen to my other podcasts, you know, Mission Impossible, uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1, Barbie podcast, Oppenheimer podcast, and I was pretty positive on all three of those films. With reason, all three films are done very well. So going into this, I was like, okay, this might actually be the first film that I'll get to actually kind of shit on. <laughs> um, but, you know, actually, I, I do like this movie. It is uh, not particularly mind-blowing. It's um, not particularly special. It's very cookie-cutter at its core. It's, it's very much like a standard, prototypical, crowd-pleasing Disney film. And if you go in just expecting that, you're gonna have a good time here. When I researched the film, I also learned about Katie Dippold being the writer. And watching the movie, I do see a lot of similarities and references to the 2016 Ghostbusters film that everyone was so divided about. It makes a lot of sense, and there there are some sequences in this film where the writing does feel like it's tailored towards uh, a Melissa McCarthy type or you know slapstick comedy. Is that to the detriment of the film's behalf? Not really. I I enjoyed the little injections of humor here and there. Um, But I don't think it's great, per se. It is way better than the Eddie Murphy film from 2003. I will say that. And I think that has to do with how well the cast does here. There is a surprisingly good performance here from Lakeith Stanfield. And I only say it's surprising because... This is the kind of performance you don't see in a movie like this. Lakeith Stanfield brings a lot of heart and soul into this movie. And there are some like monologues and scenes in here that he does that look straight ripped out of a, like a dramatic film. He brings a lot of empathy and a lot of ethos to this role. And it's far better than what this movie deserves, to be honest. <laughs> but I do appreciate it. It's, it's really good. And um, the other standout in the cast was Chase Dillon. Um, you've seen him in the, <laughs> in the, uh, trailers. He's a little kid that's, uh, partnered with Rosario Dawson. He plays her son and he has really great banter with Lakeith Stanfield and Rosario Dawson. The two of them, um, makes it for some really good comedic moments, but Chase Dillon also very good on his own. Um, there's, there's a few scenes where he has to, uh, you know, play off the emotions of losing his father and stuff like that. So it's like, He does present a very empathetic and very compassionate role in this movie and I think that kid has a a bright future ahead of him. Let's just say that. The other standouts obviously Owen Wilson and Danny DeVito. Um, They do have some really hilarious moments in this movie but I feel overall they don't get much to do in the terms of the plot and I think that's a missed opportunity. You have two really good comedic actors like that and they kind of just fall by the wayside. Rosario Dawson, she's fine. She plays the straight person of the co- of the story, which means she doesn't have a lot of comedy to play off of. She's just mostly the straight man, which is, is good. I mean, Rosario Dawson is always good in everything she does, so I have no complaints about her acting. She is very good here, very likable, and I think her relationship with her son is also very good. Like I said, there's not much to take away from them. There's there's not a lot there for them to kind of like sink their teeth into. Chase Dillon does much of the the emotional heavy lifting there. Tiffany Haddish. Now this was a character that I think was going to divide a lot of people. I uh, from some folks I, I've talked to. They don't like Tiffany Haddish and anything she's done. Tiffany Haddish is a kind of a polarizing comedic actor. Um you either love her or you hate her. You don't really stay in the middle. She is like Melissa McCarthy in that sense, where she is very loud, very rambunctious, a lot of comedic slapstick timing. But here, I think she's good. I think she's okay. There are some weird jokes in here. There's at least two or three times she makes a joke where she references the store that she bought her seance material from. Like, there's a scene where she opens up her notebook and... The ghost starts to ride, and she's like oh please oh ghost give us a sign please write on the paper and pen uh that i bought from cvs <laughs> it's like it's funny but in a like why did you have to say that kind of way like that's kind of stupid and she references something like that again it's 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 weird It's a really weird comedic performance from her, and I kind of appreciated it. I think at first she had an accent, and then she drops it halfway through the movie, which kind of goes to the detriment. I think if she committed to this, like, New Orleans medium character and gave us, like, that Tia Dalma accent from Pirates of the Caribbean, I think she would have been a little bit more memorable. But like Owen Wilson and Danny DeVito, she falls to the wayside by the third act. But what I really think audiences came for with this movie is the amount of fan service and attention to details when it comes to the ride and the attraction. Is this movie more in detail with its references than the 2003 Haunted Mansion? 100%. This movie has way more fan service, way more attention to details. It ties in directly to New Orleans and the Bayou, which, if you've been to Disneyland and Disney World, you know that the... Haunted Mansion is placed squarely in New Orleans Square, so there is really deep ties to uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, the Bayou, the swamps. So for them to actually place this movie there, I really enjoyed. I loved it. It added a a bit of a flair to the movie that the original didn't have. And by the end, there's some like Cajun and New Orleans twist to some of the original score that we've heard on the ride many times. And I actually really like it. There's an energy to this film that's unique to New Orleans that you don't really see a lot in many films these days. And I think that this is a this is a very pleasurable film to watch. With that being said, I can't go over the positives and gush about this movie without going over the negatives because this movie is very flawed. Obviously we talked about its uh, Rotten Tomatoes rating earlier already. So we got to talk about what I didn't like about the movie. Right off the bat, You know the villain is the Hatbox Ghost, played by Jared Leto. And halfway through the film, it takes a narrative detour for a MacGuffin that involves the Hatbox Ghost's past. The second act just felt entirely unnecessary for that. The MacGuffin detour could have been left out of the movie entirely, and the movie would have stayed the same. And although it's funnier in comparison to 2003's Haunted Mansion, it's not hilarious. It's just really funny. Um, the hatbox ghost himself is just I don't even think he gets introduced until the third act, which is nuts because this entire movie revolves around his nefarious plan to raise spirits and terrorize New Orleans. I I couldn't even really follow what his motivations were and why he was collecting the ghosts. I think if they introduced the hatbox ghost in his past like almost at the beginning of the story and then led into what happened with the Keith Stanfield and uh Rosario Dawson's character, maybe this would have been a little bit better, but structurally it just doesn't make sense for them to divert the entire story in the middle of the climax just to give us backstory on a villain that they haven't really shown or have given any plot to up until that point. It does feel kind of amateurish, and I do have to knock Katie Dippold's writing on that. I think the movie does suffer from that... Second to third act detour, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it in spoilers. But the third act resolution is also incredibly underwhelming and it's a little bit weak. So, how would I rate this film? I gave Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One four out of five, I gave Barbie a three and a half out of five, and I gave Oppenheimer a five out of five. So, for this being my fourth review on the podcast, 2023's Haunted Mansion. Three out of five. And we'll just say three out of five Hitchhiking Ghosts. It's a fine movie, it's serviceable. It's a little bit better than mediocre, but it is very mediocre in that sense. I think you're going to have a good time if you go watch this movie, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I will definitely watch it again when it goes on to streaming services uh, Disney Plus and stuff. It's a very fine movie to just throw up on the screen uh, when you have nothing to do, when you're probably running chores and errands, and you just want to put something on for the kids. Haunted Mansion is perfectly fine, and uh, three out of five I think is a very justifiable rating. It's not an horrible movie like some people will make you believe, but it's also not very good either. Now that being said, that was my spoiler free review. We're gonna go into Act Three where I'm gonna talk about the reception, the budget, and some filmmaking factoids. <laughs> Okay, so at the beginning of this episode, I did mention the Rotten Tomatoes rating for Haunted Mansion, but I talked more about the critical reception. Let's talk about the audience reception. Right now, the Rotten Tomatoes rating is sitting at 85% with audiences on RottenTomatoes.com with 41% for critics, meaning this is a crowd pleaser. People are liking this movie, for those that are watching it, but critics, they think it's very mediocre They don't find it particularly funny or scary. It's just kind of another meh, mid, whatever you want to call it, Disney outing. Much like a lot of their Marvel movies that have been coming out recently. And it kind of falls in line with what I rated the movie, 3 out of 5. And the critics are giving it a 4 out of 10. So that kind of makes sense. Um, We want to talk about the box office haul. So, obviously, Barbenheimer is a phenomenon. People are going out to watch barbie and oppenheimer in droves both of those films are carrying a large return of investment on their second week in the box office and that is going to cannibalize this movie for a big summer disney picture this is the second time this summer that the movie is going to underperform the first obviously being elemental and now with haunted mansion being kind of a flop at the box office I think Disney needs to restructure their strategy. They need to think about the talent that they're bringing on board and the properties that they're putting into theaters because uh, this movie had a budget of $157 million. And over the weekend with the box office hall, it's on track to make $24 million on opening weekend. Perhaps $27. That is not good. That is less than a quarter of the budget that they made. A bit of fatigue when it comes to disney properties i know a lot of people are backlashing against disney they don't want to support disney as a company i think that kind of plays in here but also the fact that this movie didn't really get glowing reviews people are choosing to withhold their money and save it for something that's more critically pronounced something that is more of a must-see in the theaters. And so that's why you see a lot of people going back for Barbie and Oppenheimer and um, Mission Impossible. But this movie, I don't think it's going to make its uh, return of investment back by the end of its runtime in the theater. This may be a big loss for Disney. And um, perhaps it will gain traction when it hits uh, on demand in Disney Plus. But for now, it does look like Haunted Mansion is a bomb. Uh, And it's sad to say because this is a, a fine movie. With that being said, would I go to the theater to watch this? Maybe not. Maybe this is one of those movies that is directly going to benefit from being on demand in Disney+, and one that I think people should give a chance for on Disney+. Plus. But yeah, it's not necessary to watch this movie on the biggest screen in IMAX or Dolby Cinema. Just It's a fine movie, and perhaps that's why people didn't come out to it. Now, with it being a bomb... Is this going to be the last attempt for Disney at adapting a theme park attraction? There is plans for a Pirates of the Caribbean reboot with Margot Robbie attached to the project. I don't know the status of that film, especially after the writers' strike. But I can easily see this being the last of their attempts. They also had Jungle Cruise, which was a fine movie uh, a couple years ago. But also, didn't gain any traction. I don't think people and audiences gravitated to Jungle Cruise the way that they anticipated. They want these big tentpole franchises like the Pirates of the Caribbean. And these movies just aren't, they aren't doing that. They're not replicating the success of Pirates of the Caribbean. But if you look at the other rides and the other attractions in the theme parks, what stands the best chance to have that tentpole launch pad? We have Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain, the Matterhorn. Obviously, Disney loves their mountains. (laughs) Um, It's a Small World, uh, Toontown, and you can't really say Splash Mountain anymore because now it's uh, themed after Princess and the Frog. It's now going to be called uh, Tiana's Bayou Adventure. So I wouldn't necessarily put Splash Mountain on that list. But looking at the other attractions in the parks that could potentially launch... I think Toontown would be a good option. I mean, I know they did it with Who Famed Roger Rabbit, but I think they could use Toontown in a different way for a new modern adventure for kids and for parents and for audiences. I think that might be the best play for them, and it also gives them a chance to reintroduce uh, some of the classic Disney characters back into modern audiences. You don't really hear about kids... Talking about Donald and Goofy and uh, Mickey and Minnie as much anymore. So I think making a Toontown movie could actually be kind of good. I also think Space Mountain has a lot of potential. It'll be a sci fi film, obviously set in space on Space Mountain. There's a lot of ability for action and horror and um, comedy there. I don't know about Big Thunder Mountain or the Matterhorn, to be honest. I think Big Thunder Mountain would have had a chance were it not for the Lone Ranger bombing. People didn't like the Lone Ranger, and that seemed to be kind of in the same vein of what the Big Thunder Mountain ride would have been. You know, trains and westerns and all that stuff. So I don't think Big Thunder Mountain would ever make an appearance on the big screen. Matterhorn, possibly. And It's a Small World? I don't think in today's climate and It's a Small World movie would make any sense. This, uh, this world is so divided on political ideologies that having a cartoonish, cookie-cutter, everyone-loves-one-another film, it wouldn't make any sense, and I don't think anyone would watch that. Um, so my best bet would be on Toontown or Space Mountain. I would like to see a film made on Space Mountain especially. So, let's go into filmmaking factoids. The film was originally in production in 2014 with Guillermo del Toro set to direct and write it i love guillermo del toro and the idea of him making a haunted mansion film it's exciting in my brain but then again i also said the same thing about tim burton doing a alice in wonderland film and i hated those movies but i trust guillermo del toro i think if he actually went through and made this film it could have been something really special in fact his original idea was to make the hatbox ghost the villain And they kind of took that idea and implemented it here. In fact, he was also going to bring in his longtime collaborator, Doug Jones, to portray the Hatbox Ghost with very limited CGI use. For those of you who don't know who Doug Jones is, Doug Jones is famous for playing other Del Toro characters, such as Abe Sapien from Hellboy. He was the water creature in The Shape of Water. And he also played the Fawn in Pan's Labyrinth. So his chemistry and work with Guillermo del Toro has been perfect, it's like Andy Serkis and uh, CGI roles. He would have been perfect as a hatbox ghost, which in my opinion would have been way better than what we got with Jared Leto's CGI hatbox ghost. On top of that, del Toro's version of the movie would have had Ryan Gosling in the starring role, but unfortunately both fell out of the project by 2020 to pursue other directing and acting opportunities. Around this time, that's when, you know, obviously, Del Toro had an Academy Award from Shape of Water, and Ryan Gosling was nominated for an Oscar for La La Land. So, it makes sense that two of the biggest names in Hollywood had to fall out of a project about the Haunted Mansion, but the idea of Guillermo Del Toro and Gosling making a film together, which would have been the first of their careers, would have been exciting. I would have loved to have seen that version of the movie. All right, so remember, this marks the end of my spoiler-free review, so if you've seen The Haunted Mansion and don't care about ruining the plot, you can continue to listen past the outro music. If you're eager to go see the movie, I would say go check it out for yourself and come back to this episode when you're finished to hear what I thought about specific spoilers. I also would like to mention, if you guys can leave me a rating and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, I would greatly appreciate it. It would help me uh, establish a little bit more of a foothold in an audience with this podcast. I'm going to put a lot of time and effort into the show going forward. So I'm going to leave with a tease of next week's episode. We're going to need a pizza and maybe throw on a vanilla ice record. All right. That's all I got to say on that. Thank you guys for listening to post credits. If you stay after the credits, there will be a spoiler review. But as always, go watch a movie. This is a spoiler alert. This is a spoiler alert. All right, welcome back. First off, I want to start by talking about the plot of the movie and how it centers behind the family that moves into the Gracie Manor via Zillow. Once they discover the house is haunted, Gabby employs a priest, a medium, a professor, and an astrophysicist to exercise the spirits. The team must uncover the secrets of the manor's murdered owner and banish the hatbox ghost before he collects the 1,000th and final spirit. I did not expect this movie to pull out some emotional heartstrings, and Lakeith Stanfield's performance does do that. The scene in the middle of the film where he breaks down crying about the death of his wife and how he feels responsible for her death and that he didn't appreciate her when she was there and how she went out for tater tots and he kind of just missed her about it while she, he was like really focused on his work as i mentioned in the spoiler free review it's really emotional and it doesn't deserve to be in a film like this his performance is it's heartbreaking and i could hear like sniffles and stuff in the theater when he was giving his monologue because you believe his performance you can see it in his eyes He's crying, but the delivery of his lines is where you feel the most empathy and pathos. Uh, With his voice trembling, it's it's a very, very good (laughs) sequence that I don't think a lot of people were expecting out of a movie like this. And that leaves us with like the overall theme of this movie. It's about grief. It's about guilt and the burden of having to shoulder on the memory of these spirits and these people in our lives that have haunted us. I was taken pretty prophetically by this moral and by Lakeith Stanfield's performance. I think that it is a standout in an otherwise very pedestrian film. It does take a while to establish why he's a curmudgeon. But I believe it pays off. I remember throughout the first and second act of this movie, I was like, man, he's kind of a dick. Like, why are they spending so much time like portraying the main character as such an asshole? Like he's an asshole to everyone. He's an asshole to Rosario Dawson, to her kid, to just his neighbors, like everyone. He's just a complete dick. But I think once they crack the egg and they finally get into telling his backstory, Stanfield like the character begins to have this character arc and he becomes more likable. And by the end of the film, you do very much get on board with his character. But for the first and second act, he is very unlikable. And I think that's another flaw of the writing. They opted to take a nonlinear story route to give the audience the information about Alyssa's death, but they sometimes come off a bit clunky and a bit too cheesy at times. And they're inserted in really weird times, but ultimately It does come around by the middle of the second act, why Ben is acting the way he is. But now I want to talk about the lore behind Gracie Manor and the story behind Jared Leto's Hatbox Ghost. I definitively can say that the Hatbox Ghost could have been portrayed by anyone, any actor. It didn't need to be Jared Leto. What's weird about this movie is that it's so concentrated on the Gracie Manor that in the third act, when they have to detour to Alistair Crump, who is the Hatbox Ghost, when they have to go to Crump's Manor, it's a hard detour, and it makes no fucking sense. And it happens around the 70% mark of the film, so they add this MacGuffin very late in the film, and it makes the film a little bit harder to follow, and also kind of takes away from the tension of what's going on in the manor with Danny DeVito's character getting possessed and having the heart attack and stuff so it made no sense to me that they're playing like an absolutely unnecessary subplot in the middle of the third act when it's about to get really good before they go to the manor they do this weird animated sequence where they talk about the backstory of alistair crump and it looks like it's ripped from destiny 2 the video game but it's worse in its animation and execution it's also the only time that we actually see jared leto in the movie but it's not even Jared Leto in person. It's a painting of him and it's his likeness. So it's really bizarre that they spent the money to get Jared Leto in this movie where he does absolutely nothing for the plot. He doesn't appear. And in fact, his voiceover lines are so heavily modified and adr yard that you can't even tell it's Jared Leto's voice either. I really do think that they could have substituted him out of the movie and it would be the same fucking movie. That's that's just really strange for me. Um, the detour in the storytelling just felt completely out of left field, felt jarring, and it screeched the tension that was building in the mansion directly to a halt. Even the Hatbox Ghost's motivations and plans were unclear and vague. We're introduced to Alistair Crump so late in the story that we don't get a sense of his cruelty or his power, and especially the fact that he murdered 900 people. I would have loved to have seen that actually play out on screen with Jared Leto acting out all these murders as opposed to what we got with that animated sequence. It's just so bizarre and definitely a reason why I think critics hated this movie. They could have just cut out the scene at the Crump Manor altogether and it wouldn't change anything at all. The inclusion of Winona Ryder and Dan Levy's characters, they didn't need to be there. They weren't funny, they weren't likable, and it seemed like they only showed up so that the audience could go, Hey, hey, it's that guy! Oh, it's Winona Ryder! Wow! Oh, she was also in Beetlejuice! But it didn't serve the plot. It didn't do anything for anyone. And it's just so bizarre and weird, and I didn't like that aspect of the film. But speaking of cameos and references, this is where the movie was really strong, and part of the reason why I gave it 3 and not a 2 out of 5 The movie's accuracy to the attraction is excellent here. I enjoyed that the hitchhiking ghosts actually played a significant importance to the plot of the movie. It kind of forced the characters to have to come back to the manor each night when they went home, adding to the lore of the hitchhiking ghosts, which I thought was brilliantly done. It's hilarious, and it it makes for good hijinks. Um, The graveyard haunt scene is literally ripped straight from the grim grinning haunts uh moment in the ride so you see the spirits flying over the hitchhiking ghosts are actually like hitchhiking with their thumbs and uh the score really emphasizes the connection and the love to the original ride and i like that scene a lot um despite the fact that the jump scare at the end of it is kind of stupid but i did like the grim grinning haunts moment there's a lot of Action set pieces in the movie sporadically sprinkled that also give nods to the attraction coming to life, including the bride sequence where Ben has to go up into the attic and he has to retrieve the key, but the bride is there with a hatchet and she's trying to cut his head off. I like that a lot. It added to the horror element of this movie that this movie could have needed a little bit more horror. The stretching room was a cool sequence. I don't think it was necessary at all, but it was cool to see that. You'd see the alligators climbing, the the barrels of explosives that were underneath there. It's really cool. The twisted hallways and the levitating candlesticks, also a nice nod. If you know, you know kind of moment, I I like those. There was a surprisingly great amount of characters in here that were referenced from just paintings and the ambiance and little nods in the ride that I appreciated. You know, characters like the Mariner, the Dueling Brothers, the Ghost Host the opera singer, the mummy, the Roman soldier, and even the groundskeeper and hound in the graveyard sequence. It is a lot of member berries, but I do love it. There's even that reference in the trailer you've seen where Tiffany Haddish's character gets taken in the doom buggy seance chair and gets thrown out of the house. That's also a really cool nod to the doom buggy. You can't have a Haunted Mansion movie without the ballroom dance scene. And at the end, one of the best sequences of the film is when all the spirits have come alive and it's playing the grim grinning Ghost song but it's done in the style of a new orleans remix i really liked it it's it's really fun it's energetic and it's a good way to close out the film the number of references and details really impressed me i recently watched the haunted mansion from 2003 and i was shocked by how much that movie got wrong and just absolutely ignored from the attraction's historic backstory it's it's kind of crazy how little effort they put into Haunted Mansion in 2003. Comedically, this movie is far more enjoyable. It's crowd-pleasing. And Owen Wilson has the funniest line in the entire movie. And it comes like when they're in the seance room and he has a hatchet in his hand. And Tiffany Haddish looks at him and she's like, What are you going to do with that axe? They're already dead. <laughs> and he says, Oh, they're going to be deader. <laughs> I love that. That's such a Owen Wilson thing to say. And you get... A talent like him for those type of moments where you can inject their own stylings and their own comedic performance into the film without it overwhelming you and without being a showcase for them specifically. I did mention Chase Dillon. He's a the child actor in the movie. He's about 10 years old. The kid was so good, man. I don't normally like child actors. Some of them come off as cringy, but I genuinely think this kid delivered a lot of emotion. You've seen that scene in the uh, trailer when Rosario Dawson tells him that she's going to put on a vanilla candle to haunt out the ghost. And he's like, is it? <laughs> it's so good. It's His facial expression and the timing of the the line is perfect. I think this kid has a really good aura about him. He he was great in this, and I I liked it. And like I said, I don't really pay attention to child actors because a lot of them are cringy, but Chase Dillon was very good, and I want to see where his career goes from here. Overall, I find 2023's Haunted Mansion, it's a solid crowd-pleasing adventure. It's not too scary, so it won't frighten the young kids. But it is funny enough to keep the adults engaged. Is this a movie you must rush to the theater to see? Probably not. But it will be one of the better pieces of content you can find on Disney Plus in a few months. And that's saying something. Secret (laughs) Invasion. All right, guys. So that will do it for me. I had a lot of fun on this episode. It gave me a chance to exercise my critical thinking a little bit more than the other films. Since this was a bit more of a mediocre to bad film compared to the other three that I've done before on this show. So I really enjoyed my time here. I did a lot of research, and I even sat through the 2003 Haunted Mansion just to give you guys the entertainment today. I will be back next week, and as always, go watch a movie.